Welcome to the third episode of Inside the Minds, Medicine, Education, and Equity. I'm Jason Newland, a pediatric infectious disease doctor here at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, and on this podcast, we have the amazing assistant professor of orthopedic surgery, Dr. Blake Montgomery. Sheridan, what'd you think? I mean, I think the long pause says it all. I mean, Blake was just phenomenal, I think, to have on the podcast. For me, I think hearing about Blake's like constant transitions from like, especially like the mindset of playing professional baseball to doing medicine at the age of 18 is just mind blowing. Like I could not picture myself having to make those, you know, game time decisions at just 18 years old. But I mean, he was leaving one dream. Yes, but he was able to pursue another one and he has been able to do amazing things with it and go amazing places. Why was it more for you? What was it about for you? What 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 part of it, when you say for me, resonated most? Because I think we need to get, know a little bit more about you for the audience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of did like the very stereotypical graduate high school, transition straight into college. I always had kind of that mindset. Did not play sports in high school, like just never had that kind of outlook on things. And So I followed, you know, the straight trajectory, what my mind it had been planned for, you know, 10 years prior, whereas Blake had this whole big dream of playing, you know, professional baseball, college baseball. And then at a moment's notice, he was able to just pivot and kind of took it with stride. Like he did not seem necessarily bummed out about it. He was like, okay, well, that that is past and I can do this other great thing. And at 18, I was just not that mature. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. I, I think you hit you that it's a super important thing um, that he was he's a man of goals, and I think I think people will be uh, inspired, uh, especially about uh, as a black man or as I think what he would say as a you know and talked about those different experiences in the different places of the world. I learned a ton from his insights and how he views being a black man, or as he would say in certain places, he was just a man who was black. It's great. You guys have, You guys are going to love listening to this. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to a, another episode of Inside the Minds, Medicine, Education, Equity. I'm super excited today because uh, we're going to change it up for you guys a little bit. As many of you are probably expecting is another person I worked with during COVID, and I'm not doing that to you. I'm actually going to take someone I work with during COVID and talk to his brother, Dr. Blake Montgomery. Welcome, Blake, to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a it's an honor to be a guest on the podcast. Well, you know, we the, you're you're episode three of our second podcast. We were initially a COVID podcast called Capturing COVID, and Sheridan, our amazing producer, and I decided we don't want to talk about COVID the rest of our lives, but invariably we talk about COVID. So you're probably going to have to talk a little about COVID. I'm okay with that. You're okay with that. All right. So so you're probably wondering, why would I bring on a guy I worked with to talk on the podcast today? And and we'll get there. But here's what you got to know first off is Dr. Blake Montgomery is new to the Washington University family. He is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and an assistant professor of orthopedic surgery who joined us in August or July? Uh, August, yep. So August of 2023, he has a remarkable story. And so, by the way, my mother, Blake, is our lo- loyalist listener. So hi, mom. <laughs> and we have to kind of go through who you, who you are, Blake. So I'm going to, on our little show notes, we have your undergraduate, but I'm not starting there, friend. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up. I grew up here in St. Louis. Yeah. So St. Louis, Missouri native, and of course, being that I've been in St. Louis eight years, and of course, when you go to a college like I did, and you learn about the question you have to ask anybody from St. Louis is, <laughs> "Where'd you go to high school?" <laughs> okay, where did you go to high school, my friend? I am a proud uh, Pattonville pirate. Sound to Pattonville High School. Loved it. Absolutely Pattonville good. pirate. <laughs> By the way, Blake. Yesterday, I was at Pattonville High School talking to. Were a, you really? Yep, talking to a science class. Oh, cool! And um, I was thinking today, coming on the podcast, I was like, "Ooh, I gotta talk to Vicky, the science teacher, Vicky Emerson, and say I know who you're bringing here next year." 
<laughs> His name is Dr. Blake Montgomery. Hey, hey, I, I would, I would love that. Yeah, Pattonville. Yeah, I have nothing but the uh, best thing to say about Pattonville. Absolutely amazing place. Fantastic. So now, now, Blake, you grew up then there, kind of on the. I mean, that part of St. Louis is kind of the north, kind of west side, right? Like you're kind mm -hmm. of outside 270. And those of you who have listened to some of our podcasts and we talk about some of the systemic racism and stuff in St. Louis, you know, we talk about the Del Mar Divide and north of Del, Del Mar. And I mean, frankly, right, like Padville's kind of on that kind of cusp, right? Is that a fair mm -hmm. that the equity issues are present within the Pattonville area? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, kind of right on the cusp. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. And and so here you are, you go to Pattonville High School, and then we have down, you did your undergraduate at University of Missouri, Kansas City, but let's be clear, you did the six-year medical school program, but that's not the story. How <laughs> did you end up landing? What was the story from Pattonville High School, and then you get to UMKC? So from Pattonville High School, I would say that, you know, I had always been interested in you know, science and medicine, and I had always wanted to be a doctor, but I wanted to do that after a sports career. So, you know, in high school, I played football, basketball, baseball, and I was planning to play baseball in college. However, I had a number of injuries, which required a few surgeries, and kind of saw the writing on the wall that I would be unable to play at the high level that, uh, that I wanted to play. Um, and so I did one year at Merrimack. I uh, loved that year, but I had, you know, I had a, a few surgeries that year and I was recovering. And during that year, I applied to the six-year program. That's where I had the, I really had to reassess, you know, what I thought was realistic, you know, uh, yeah, as this high schooler, you know, I just signed a, a letter to play in college. And, and I thought, you know, these collegiate dreams were getting ready to come true. And then, you know, kind of boom, you got to, got to face reality and, and make decisions real fast. And I was able to transition to my second goal, which was, you know, always to do medicine after sports. Sports just ended a little bit sooner than what I thought it was. So, so you were going to go to a division one college to play baseball. So I was going to go to a junior college for baseball. Uh, it was, um, it was a division one junior college, you could say to play baseball though. So gotcha. Yeah. And then you landed at Merrimack, which is a junior college, literally across the street from my house. Exactly. So I was, we were packing, my mom and I were packing our bags to, I was going to go to Oklahoma and I, I, we were literally, you know, packing all the bags to leave, getting ready to leave the next day. And I had just recently told my coach that I needed a hip surgery because I had a torn labrum and some other hip, you know, issues. And uh, my coach called me while we're packing our bags. And he said, you know what, I, I think it's, I think it'd be best if you stayed home. And if you recover, and then if you get better, like we're happy to, uh, you know, happy to talk to you after you recover. And that was a moment. My mom and I kind of looked at each other. I had it on speakerphone and we were saying that, you know, this is, uh, that's likely the end of the baseball. So we, we kind of both knew um, and we, we switched gears. The next day I went over, I went over to the community college. I enrolled. It was like August, you know, it was late <laughs> wow. uh, and, and enrolled and uh, absolutely had a fantastic time at Merrimack, uh, super supportive faculty, great education, affordable education, and was able to pivot really fast and, you know, look into the six-year program. I was always interested in the six-year program, but of course I wanted to play sports, but then after sports was over, I reinvestigated it and I loved what I was hearing applied and, and it all worked out. So just so people know is that there's... I think there's only maybe two or three, essentially, you can graduate from high school and go directly into medical school, and it's six years. So when we say six years program, we're talking about you can go from high school, do six years, and at the end, have your MD. And do you get a bachelor's as well through that process? You do. Yeah, you, yep, you do. So I have a, a bachelor of liberal arts. Gotcha. So. And it's a pretty... so. Uh, Many of you maybe listen know I was at Children's Mercy in Kansas City, which is affiliated with University of Missouri, Kansas City. So my academic point was there. So I got to work with a lot of these amazing um, students. Um, I think I worked maybe with your wife um, yeah. along the way during PDA. And she's a pediatrician, I know. So shout out to Katie right now. But I, I um, it was right before I moved to St. Louis. So <laughs> You did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she loved working with you. Uh, that's for sure. I learned a ton. So she had a good time. <laughs> Yes. I always liked it that maybe I did something all right that day. Um, okay. So 
Now, Blake, what, what? All right. So, I, I mean, look, we're on a podcast. They can't see you, right? Like, so you're, mm-hmm. you are a black man from, from St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Did you have doctors in the family? Did you, who, who was the inspiration to be a doctor? Cause a lot of us realize that if you don't see it in you, you don't, you typically do it. So that's not a, that's by, that's not a rule. So, so who was the inspiration or what, what were the inspirations? That's a great question. I'd say that I do have doctors in my family peripherally, like cousins that are, you know, kind of, you know, quite a bit away separation that we could, you could call a cousin to call a cousin that knows that person that, you you know, so you talk to them, uh, you know, it's my first time pretty much reaching out to them for the most uh, intensive purposes, but they were, you know, great and spoke with me about it. But that was later in life. Uh, I'd say I would take the story back to, you know, as young as I can remember, I'd say, you know, second grade, uh, you know, and that's when I remember I was had the student achievement award and you had to pick your careers. Like, what do you want to, what do you want to do? And in second grade, it was, well, I've always loved science. I've always loved kind of like, you know, research investigation, those kind of things. So I thought I'd be like, you know, a scientist, uh, but first, you know, I wanted to be an athlete, so be a baseball player. Uh, so I want to be a baseball player. And uh, there's this photo that my mom still has in her basement of, you know, what I want to what I want to do, you know, when I grow up. And in second grade, it was like, well, I want to do sports and I want to do science. Uh, and so that's absolutely what, you know, what I want to do. And that, that never really changed. But in third grade, uh, that's when I read um, Ben Carson's book. Yes. Uh, and that's where I met medicine was third grade. That's right. Uh, and that was a moment where, uh, you know, politics aside, that was a moment where I saw that, oh, wait a minute, I, I could, this, this black person is a doctor. Like, this is really neat. Being a doctor is, is nice. I was able to see myself kind of as a physician as well. And ever since then, ever since third grade, it was, oh, I'm going to do medicine. Oh, so I'm going to do medicine just like Ben Carson did. He can do it. I can do it. But I'll do that after sports, yeah. and it, it, and it hadn't changed since third grade. I mean, I still, yeah, it's been been the same for me ever since. Sports and then medicine. Sports ended a little bit earlier than I thought, and then I transitioned right to medicine. And so that that, but that is, I mean, look, I'm a very white privileged male. My dad was a doctor, right? I saw it. I knew I could. I wanted to be like my dad. That was easy, right? But so, I, I relate to that. But it's true, right? Like you. Seeing Ben Carson and and having someone that you can relate to that you you felt yeah I could be that because he could do that. A hundred percent. Absolutely. That Ben Carson. So I'd say that Ben Carson, he allowed me to visualize myself becoming a doctor. I'd say he kind of opened that idea of, wait a minute, I could do this. You know, this is, this is something I could do. I would say that uh, additional inspiration was my grandfather as well. He's actually, my grandfather was the one who gave me the book, uh, actually. So he gave me, uh, yeah, gave me the book for a book report. He's like, oh, you know, I think you should read about Ben That's- Carson. Awesome. And yeah, it was a third grade book report. And he gave it to me, read it, and it absolutely changed my life. And I think my grandfather was a huge inspiration. Uh, like my grandfather and Ben Carson, I absolutely re- relied on those two a lot, especially as I was facing like hard exams and kind of those challenges where you're like, you know, am I capable? I was like, wait a minute. Like my like my grandfather did this. Like, you know, he he's he wasn't a he was not in medicine, but he was a lawyer. Uh, you know, and I I know this is a podcast. I don't want to, you know, go on for hours. No, you can't. That's the beauty of the podcast. (laughs) Either way, so my my grandfather was a lawyer, but uh, so my grandfather grew up in St. Louis City, uh, uh, definitely very low means for sure. He had limited parental support, you know, kind of limited guidance for sure uh, for the educational route, but he was very self-motivated. And so he married at a young age, had kids. Um, he was running a, you know, he started his own TV repair shop and he was a teacher at East St. Louis for wow. uh, many years. But my grandfather was also really competitive and he always kind of had in his mind that he really wanted to, there's something else out there for him. Uh, and he's always interested in law. Uh, and then there was a ad in the paper, um, some sort of ad for like SLU Law School, like apply to SLU Law School. And one of his friends was like, you can never get into law school. Oh, no. And that was that's the motivation that he needed. <laughs> So and then he, uh, yeah, he started. Uh, he, uh, you know, ended up changing it, changing it up, changing it up. Applied to law school. It was accepted to SLU Law School. After I, my mom tells all these stories, and my, at that point, my mom was like in high school, or I mean, she was definitely of age where she can remember. I believe it was high school, maybe it was before that, but just of him studying twenty four seven and him always listening to audiobooks in the car and just spending every moment that he could to study when he was in law yeah. school. 
And hearing the stories of how hard he had to work to get to where he was, was uh, absolutely an inspiration. Uh, so then he was a lawyer for Anheuser-Busch and then became a circuit court judge in St. Louis. Uh, wow. So this is all, this is all second career for him though. Uh, it was great. So his story was definitely inspirational and hearing about Ben Carson's struggles, uh, that was absolutely inspirational. And I, I definitely relied on those throughout, throughout the educational process. I mean, yeah. it was absolutely for sure. Well, um, you done pretty well. I mean, let's, let's be clear. You, uh, so you, you graduate from UMKC what year? I graduated 2016. All right. So here he goes. Uh, graduates in 2016 from the UMKC medical school and then matches into orthopedic surgery. And for those of you who aren't in medicine, matching into orthopedic surgery is not easy. It's probably the hardest match. It's actually the hardest. Like I, there's no way I would ever have been able to match in orthopedic surgery. Like I, they would have laughed me out of the room. Actually, I would have just gotten straight je- rejections. It's very true. So you get re- and you do it at Stanford. So tell me that, like, why Stanford? What was the, what was the thinking? Because if you went to Stanford, Maine, you could have gone anywhere you wanted. Well, I think you're being too kind. I'd say that uh, I was definitely extremely fortunate to uh, match at Stanford. For me, so I I remember going on the Stanford uh, interview and. I remember, you know, talking to one of the residents at the time, you know, Malcolm DeBond, a phenomenal person, phenomenal surgeon. He's an orthopedic surgeon at Duke. He's a great person. If you ever come, if you ever come across him, be sure to reach out. He's he's a wonderful person. So Malcolm DeBond. Okay. Right. So Malcolm DeBond is the son of mm-hmm. a Dr. Michael DeBond. Dr. Michael DeBond is yeah. probably, you know, not probably. He is the preeminent sickle cell pediatrician in the world and my coordinator cindy terrell who blake just met was the coordinator for michael debon when michael debon was at washu and oh, all no of the way. major initial trials cindy t led that work and when we get done with this podcast we got to go tell cindy t because Michael and Cindy are still like good buddies and 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 I'm sure Cindy watched oh, Malcolm grow up. So anyway, crazy. so Malcolm DeBond, sorry, as I had to go on the side. Sorry everybody. Isn't that amazing? Well, no, that's good. That's good. Well, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree on that one. So, uh, yeah, Malcolm is uh, absolutely amazing and but he's also he's from St. Louis so we could kind of speak the same language in that way. Uh, but he he told me that, you know, it, Stanford is a place where, you know, diversity is valued and he said, you know, his experience at Stanford and what you would expect for me is that, you know, a lot of places where you'll get orthopedic education, you'll be a, a black man kind of in that order. You know, you're a, a black man and that's fine. He's like, but, you know, here at Stanford, like, what you'll find is you'll be a man that happens to be black. That's proud of that. But you're just an orthopedic surgeon. Like, you're just an orthopedic surgery resident first. Like you're here to get educated. You're just here to train. Like you, your race won't be the first thing that comes up. Like you're just, you're just one of the trainees, you know, just learn orthopedic surgery. And that's, absolutely what i wanted uh so on top of all the other great things that stanford had to offer that was the reason why i really wanted to go to stanford and that was true like that held true absolutely loved my time at stanford i mean amazing mentors people i still talk to today uh i mean uh, it's a a place where truly like diversity is valued and i had an amazing phenomenal educational experience there wow i mean i okay that's a tingly moment right that's um so thank you for sharing that because I, I can't imagine some of the things that, that that has to be in your kind of thinking, right? Like there's this notion that they might think see me as black before they even see me as surgeon and that and that changes how you could be thought of. Oh, one hundred percent. I mean I knew in my mind there were places I could go to in the country where I bet I would not have finished residency. Like, you know, I just I I can I can pretty much guarantee, like in my mind, I I know that I was like, I'm this person, I, you know, I did well in residency. I was, you know, I let someone else say how well I did. I'm not going to, you know, necessarily say that, but, uh, you know, I think I was a good resident. Uh, and I think that, you know, it, it all worked out very well. And I'm, you know, happy with what I was able to accomplish during residency, able to do research, able to do all these extracurricular things. Uh, you know, I got a grant, all this stuff, that's fine. But I can guarantee you that resident who you, who people would say, wow, he's a great resident, he's a strong resident. I could have gone to a different program and I could have been the failure. You know, I could have had this exact same abilities, exact same capabilities, exact same drive. Uh, but I think that I can pretty much guarantee that I would have been like a problem, you know, been seen as a problem child. In my mind, that's how it would have gone. So I was very careful and strategic on where I was going. I wanted to go to an environment to, to where, yes, I was just a resident. And you have all that, all, all those things to deal with. I, you know, I appreciate One of the things I wanted to ask you, what I wanted to ask you, which you, 
that you said is that Malcolm was also from St. Louis, so he I knew he under we understood each other. Can you go into why you say that and why that matters? Uh, so I think it matters because you know in growing up in a similar area, uh, you kind of know the I don't really, I don't want to say like the games that are played, but you you, you have a you know you, you know the Del Mar divide. You know that if you go to certain areas that are affluent, uh, that don't have a ton of people, that people are going to look you know look at you closely, you know, watch you closely. Like you, you know, this unwritten, like the unwritten rules, you know, so you know, those things. So we, we could speak to that level. Like, you know what it's like if you're yeah, like, you know, if you're the only kind of black person around and what kind of attention that you get and what kind of expectations are set for you and, and all these things like, yeah, so we didn't have to say a word and we absolutely kind of understood each other uh, on a, on a very deep level, I think. Yeah. I can imagine even, even with conversations, that you could relate to maybe i mean I, look i've talked to your brother and we'll get into that about brock and how we all got to know each other but talking to brock about going out in west county and you know being you know there's a good chance there's a chance you could get pulled over just because of the color of your skin now that i mean we hear those stories and that's not that that still happens i mean i i, w I would like to say it doesn't but we know it does um and i guess you and malcolm could could look at each other and say that but the question that i have is how long did it take you to actually believe Malcolm in that Stanford was different or that that area, like, was it right away? Oh, I got it. But I can't imagine that's the case if this is how you grew up. You know, I think that, you know, I did believe Malcolm right away. You know, I, I pretty much did. Like, if you're able to, if you're able to speak on that level to me, then you like, then there's yeah, an yeah. understanding there. You know, like, there's not a, you know, if you're, if you kind of ignore the, you know, everything about it, then yeah, I'd have to, you know, maybe get a little bit more information or, you know, kind of talk to you a little bit more deeply. But Malcolm and I just instantly like connected on that level. So I, I, I did. I, inst I instantly trusted, you know, what what he had to say. So and, and we we spoke a lot afterwards too. But yeah, are you still in touch? You guys still still? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, still in touch. So yeah, yeah, still in touch. I was just texting him a few weeks ago. So I can't wait to meet him because we'll have lots to talk about. Yeah, um. Okay. Definitely. So. You're in Stanford then, and that would be from 2016 to 2021. And yes. you do pediatric orthopedics as a fellowship. And mm. maybe a, a an also maybe pretty high-level place, Harvard and Boston Children's Hospital. So tell me, what was it about peds? Why did you want to do pediatric ortho? Where did this come from? So for me, it... For the decisions that I made in medicine, whether it be orthopedics and then subsequently pediatric orthopedics, it was kind of came down to patients and procedures. So like orthopedics in general, patients get better. You know, they have maybe even severe injuries. You're able to fix them, allow them to get back on, you know, back doing the activities that they enjoy. And I love that component. I love, you know, telling someone that I can, you know, our goal is to make you better with, with surgery, which I absolutely love that. And, and then the procedures. Um, so pediatric orthopedics, you know, we can do very, you know, small micro procedures mm -hmm. under the microscope, or we can do very huge procedures, you know, with, you know, where it's, you know, takes all day. And I absolutely love that component of having the ability to kind of go back and forth, which is, wow. uh, which is great. What was Boston like? You know, I went into Boston, my, my wife and I we went into Boston and we were, we had definitely a certain expectation of what to expect from Boston because it has a bit of a reputation. Racist reputation is is definitely a, there. I mean, I think, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, um, for sure, watching the Bill Russell, you can watch that the documentary or the oh, Netflix series or whatnot on Bill Russell, and that'll kind of tell you. And that was Bill Russell who was, uh, you know. So that was interesting. But so we went in with those, you know. And so we went in with that expectation, and I tell you what, we absolutely loved it. It it, it was very fun it was an amazing year like we you know lived in the city and just had a great time we live right by the hospital we love taking the tea we love the sports you know we love the seafood like the people were we were expecting them not to be welcoming and warm but they actually were it, it was it was great i mean we like my wife and i definitely had a a really fun year in boston like uh, nothing but you know good things to say about that. And so you do a year there. Well, uh, well uh, let me aside. What did you have a favorite restaurant in Boston? 
Ooh, um, <laughs> my favorite restaurant in Boston was, um, it was a taco shop in Waltham. Uh, probably that's my favorite, but yeah. So uh, I believe it was um, okay. Los Amigos. Uh, it was, absolutely love the the tacos. I mean, I say, I, don't get me wrong, I, I miss the lobster rolls. You know, I, yeah, I definitely miss I, getting lobster rolls at all. Yankees lobster rolls are amazing. All the other lobster rolls are great and love all the seafood. But um, the taco place was the one I'm going to tell you, my my favorite Italian place in all the world is in the north end, um, north end in Boston called Giacomo's. Oh, we, we, I love Giacomo's. We went there a handful Don't of times. Let love me go Giacomo's. have Giacomo's. Okay. Cash. And, that's exactly and right. You write, you know, walk down the, the street to Modern or Mike's <laughs> and you have a cannoli. I mean, now, if yeah. you go to Giacomo's, oh, yeah. everybody. You got to bring cash. There is no credit card. It's cash only. And it is phenomenal. You did Giacomo's. Oh, man, I, I knew I liked you. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. So here we are. I've done orthopedic surgery for five years. Let's be clear. I've done medical school for six years. I've done orthopedic surgery for five years. I've gone from, I was in St. Louis to Kansas City. Stanford, Palo Alto, California, Boston. I mean, you you are a traveler, but hey, why not go to the other side of the world to do another fellowship? <laughs> exactly. Right? So you go do a pediatric spine spell fellowship in Auckland, New Zealand. Let's not let's let's just yes. let's yeah. just hit the grand salami, my friend. Tell me this. How does one do that? Well, you know, this was really a situation that was definitely brought about by opportunity. So, you know, I went to went to Stanford and I had some tremendous mentors. Like, you know, definitely people that you say see more in yourself. Uh, you see more in you than what you see in yourself, perhaps, but absolutely have that. I'd say, um, you know, someone in particular is Stephen Frick. Uh, he definitely was a tremendous mentor, mentor then and still is today. Uh, and so he was someone that I would, you know, talk with about like my goals, uh, you know, talk with like what I, what kind of career I wanted. And he was really close friends with someone who was uh, running the fellowship in New Zealand. And it turns out it's just like this hidden fellowship that people have been going to for years, but there's no website and there's no, it's, you have to know someone who knows someone. So it's all about your opportunities, right? So he recently had traveled to New Zealand and he kind of learned more about the fellowship and then you know, he, he gave me a call and he's like, Blake, you know, I, I really, like, I know your your goals. I know what you want. You should really think about this fellowship here. I just learned about it. I think it's a great opportunity. You know, I think, you know, you and Katie may really enjoy a year in New Zealand. Uh, so just think about it. And, you know, Steve Frick, he's one of the few people that, you know, he says something, I listen, you know, and I really, he's someone, if he says something, I'll pretty much, I'll pretty much do it blindly. <laughs> he's just one of those, because I know he, has, I know he, he truly has my best interest at heart. You know, so yeah. and he's a super smart guy. So, uh, you know, we looked into it. I looked into it a lot. My wife and I looked into it and we spent a lot of evenings talking about it. And, you know, we had our whole pluses and minuses, advantage, disadvantages thing. And and we decided that, you know what, this would be a good year. Uh, this would be a good year, good year for us. We get an opportunity to live abroad and I get a chance to get some more expertise training in pediatric spine, which is very complex. And, you know, that that, that we do it. So. We applied, and then it all worked out. Now, your wife, Katie, is a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Obviously brilliant. Yeah. And she, in this time, is... Yeah, yeah, you should biased, be biased. You're a smart so, man. Yeah. Um, I'm biased because she's a pediatrician, clearly. Um, so, but... And, and you, at this time, have, a, have one child at this time? So, this was actually about two years before we ended up going to New Zealand. So, we had okay. no child at this point. Yeah, so I was a, I was like ending my fourth oh, year in residency, yeah. getting ready to start my fifth year whenever we signed up for New Zealand. So, yeah, it was about two years in advance. So no child yet. But you guys had a child when you went to New Zealand. We did. We had a six-month-old. So we ended up, yeah, having a child uh, along the way. And, yeah, we had a six-month-old uh, while we were in Boston. And then, yeah, took her to New Zealand, and she became that a Kiwi for a year. Well, tell me – Okay, so we we kind of t we were touching on kind of this being a black man in these different spots of the of the U.S. and 
finding obviously some allies and friends that you could share this and really helped you with that comfort, obviously. What was it like in New Zealand? In New Zealand, it was, you know, at least, you know, on that level, as far as like race, being black, New Zealand was amazing. Like over there, I was just an American. Like, and I didn't anticipate that going over. You know, I had that thought didn't even cross my mind. Like, I must say, like, yeah, I was, we're interested in doing all the sightseeing. We're interested in, you know, obviously I was very interested in the clinical side and the surgical side and how they, you know, operate a bit differently. Like that was where we were focused. Like we, my wife had planned out these trips that we were going to do with some of the weekends when I was off. And so that's where all of our mental energy was, was focused towards. It didn't cross my mind that like I wouldn't be, I wasn't the black American. I was just the American. Like I was just, so I was just, you know, almost living, uh, you know, kind of living freely that year. And that was really, it was a weight lifted in hindsight. You know, while I was there, I was, you know, yeah, just a, just a, a, a fellow, you know, surgeon in training, you know, and that was really that whole experience uh, just like Malcolm kind of hit on for residency as uh, you be, uh, you know, a person and that happens to be black that, you know, is just, you know, that's kind of the order. And there I was just the person, you know, I, and, that, and that was fine. I was just, the, yeah, I was just the American. Like that was it. Like, you know, it was, it was, yeah. And I was, it was, to be honest, weight lifted in hindsight. Like I had zero thought never even crossed my mind, but, you know, definitely as I was able to kind of collect my thoughts for the year and just my experience, like that was one of the most transformative experiences to just be, you know, yeah, just be the American there and just being a, a surgeon, just being a fellow is great. So were there other people from other parts of the world there? Too? All over the world. Absolutely. It was a, a true mixing pot there. I mean, 100% people from Germany, Egypt, uh, you know, someone from Canada, there's a couple of people from the US, but you know, Ireland, uh, yeah, all over the world. Definitely. Uh, it was great to hear about orthopedic surgery, even from all these other parts of the world. So it was, it, it was awesome. It, that's incredible. And you said transformative. What was what were they what were the transformative moments? Cuz you and I've had this conversation that I really I was like, "Wow. Now that is." And and you said that. You said, "Look, I was just an American. It didn't matter like the pigment in my skin didn't matter." Right. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I think that what has how it's helped me now that I've come back to the States, I would say, you know, as and I'm still reflecting and digesting on how like why do I why do I feel a bit differently, you know, now compared to like when I left. And I think that it allowed me to appreciate that the world is big and there are a lot of different viewpoints out in the world. Before I left it kind of my life was not only US like you know I was in St. Louis my life was St. Louis and that's kind of all I knew and I would say that if someone said something that I found offensive or maybe racist or something like that I would say it didn't bother me but it would bother me you know and I would I would think about it that night the next day maybe a week or two later maybe a month yeah. or two later maybe even a year or two later I'd say yeah. it wouldn't bother me, but it, it would it would now and since now I've, now I've been back for New, uh, back from New Zealand for, I don't know, five or so months, when someone says something to me that maybe I find offensive, it definitely rolls off my shoulders a lot easier. And, and that I'm able to say, you know what, this is one person's opinion in, you know, a moderately to small size city, you know, in this or maybe this little town, but one person's opinion of the whole world. Like it's mm -hmm. not what everyone thinks of me. Like there are definitely places in the world, you know, other countries where it's just, I'm just a person I, I know what I'm capable of. I don't have to necessarily, you know, fight these stereotypes or what the, this person may have of me. And it truly has allowed me to allow small things that I would have definitely gotten upset about, you know, before I went to New Zealand. Now it really does just roll off. And it's just, you know, if anything, I give people the benefit of the doubt and like, I'm just like on to other things now. You know, I don't have to dwell on this moment and think, was there a microaggression there? Was there not? Maybe it was. If it was, it's kind of on that person. You know, I'm just I'm kind of yeah. just doing my thing now uh, a lot more free. So I'm taking some of that freedom I feel like that I got in New Zealand and I, and I feel like I brought that back. And, that, and that's helped. Wow. That's that's pretty. You know, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And I obviously as a white man that has that. I mean, heck, I, I get, I could be treated like an orthopedic surgeon. I'd be an absolute disaster. There's a good reason I'm not. But well, about that, you'd be a great surgeon. 
Yeah, no, I'd be awful. Trust me. I, I, can't, I have no depth perception. Like, I, one of my strengths is knowing my weaknesses, and that is definitely one. And you'd have some of the best antibiotic protocols, you know, after you get, you'd have no infections. Boy, absolutely. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay, well, whew, I mean, well, let's say this. You know, people should know the way, the reason why Blake and I know each other is that Blake's brother, Brock Montgomery, Brock, I hope you're listening was a school teacher with my neighbor behind me, did a rotation with me when he was a post-bac student at WashU, and then basically worked on projects. Um, and now as a med student at Case Western, he's the reason he, he and he and I would talk about, you know, he's he's the one that opened my eyes to a lot about inequities and, and seeing how things were. And he, um, but you know, he, he was intriguing and that he all he would always tell me I went I decided to go to medical school because my brother did it right. Yeah, you know I you know I think so, and I definitely I definitely can't tell Brock's story. Uh, you know I, I won't do it justice, but Brock definitely has mentioned that you know him seeing me go through it, you know him just thinking like wait a minute we grew up together we ate the same foods we did the same things like. I've seen Blake at his best and I see him at his worst. <laughs> you know, if he can do it, I can do it. And I think that definitely allowed him to yeah, see himself in that field in medicine. And that was, um, you know, the big reason for the career change. I remember him calling me and, you know, he was like, you know what, Blake, I'm, I'm interested in medicine. And I was like, do it. Like you should do it. Like it doesn't matter. Second career. Like you can absolutely go through. And it's like, I, I'm, here right next to all these people that are you know in medical school or you know in residency i was like you would fit right in and you would take great care of patients trust me i guarantee you you will be you will do great and uh, i'm just happy that he took that step and i mean he's put in all the work i mean oh my gosh his story i mean just the amount of work that he's put in and yeah yeah brock is yeah he's uh he's uh my younger brother but he's an inspiration in a lot of ways as well so he's uh he's great yeah he i yeah no he's 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 tremendous he i will say that we were able to develop a pretty diverse research team because of brock um brock was brock brought Brittany, Brittany bonte who you obviously know well because you and her her husband are dear friends oh yeah obviously lived together for a while and um yeah and brock's the one who says no summer and sydney reyes these two wonderful women who are they're medical students at University of Chicago, <laughs> but that, but that, but that's your brother, right? And I think that you're both very similar in that kind of leadership. What, how do you see going forward addressing some of the inequities? And and I and I bring this up is that with the story I remember you guys telling me, where there was eight of you guys in a house when you were growing up because you and 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 there's yeah. and we know in our community, right? Our community of St. Louis that. Those who mm-hmm. are poor and in worse off situations are often people of color, specifically black individuals. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so I would say Brittany uh, is my cousin through marriage. So she's married to my cousin. He was one of those eight uh, in the story that you are, are you know, that we brought up uh, that, that you're referring to. So, yeah, that was definitely a pivotal time, I'd say, in, in our lives um, where my mother and father were going through a divorce yeah. uh so and i you know my mom has four kids and um my aunt and uncle were also going through a divorce and and they had four boys as well so ultimately you know both like all my brothers and all my cousins there uh, we all moved in with my grandma and we lived with her for over a year uh, my grandma had this really small house that was um, so ultimately it was how many people were living there let's see it was uh, eight boys uh, sometimes nine um, and then three adults so my mom my aunt and then my grandma Um, and that was we were all in a small house which had one functional bathroom three bedrooms and overall was just you know quite tiny yeah it was but yeah we all made it work and for us it was you know it was like we didn't really know, like we knew that everybody had, you know, a certain time to use the bathroom or whatnot, you know, I kind of had the set time to make everything work. And, you know, our, you know, my mom and my aunt kind of, and my grandma for sure, they were the ones keeping everything on track and they were, you know, they were the glue, but for us, it was also kind of fun. Right. I mean, like you're, you're a kid and you got like, I don't know, four to five people in a bedroom 
I mean, yeah, you got like bunk beds, you got a trundle bed, you know, you got all these beds that are everywhere, but you're kind of always just hanging out with your brothers and your cousins, you know, and it's like, we all happen to be boys. So it's just like a, like a basketball team 24 uh, seven. So, you know, definitely, I, I never viewed that as a hardship or anything at the time. Like, you know, it was just how life was and it was, you know, definitely had its advantages, but looking back, you're like, wow, how did we all fit? You know, really kudos to my grandma yeah. for, you know, allowing everyone to move it. I mean, she had, you know, this house where she was living comfortably, three bedroom, you know, house and, you know, bathroom and definitely doing just fine. And then, you know, people needed her and testament to her and her kindness and her generosity of just to be like, doors always open, come in. And that's exactly what we did. And I mean, I can definitely, you know, tell you about, you know, super, I mean, dinners were, it was like, you know, feeding the masses, right? Like huge pots of chili and stuff like that every night. So it was that, you know, but Christmases were always fun. Like it was just always like a loving, kind, welcoming house, you know, and it was just, uh, I definitely remember that time fondly uh, more than anything else. But in hindsight, you're like, wow, that was, that was pretty wild. So yeah, definitely uh, kudos to uh, my grandma, Victoria McCullough, an absolutely amazing woman. So I uh, definitely want to share that kind of generosity, uh, you, will. you know, that she has towards us and others. I mean, that's, that's inspiration for sure. During the pandemic, did you ever reflect back on those times thinking about here we are in this COVID-19 pandemic. You think how you grew up, if that was you guys, you know, you think about who in the, who, who saw the brunt of the pandemic was people that lived in multi-generational homes. And as we know, in St. Louis, probably the, for the first six weeks, the only people that died were black individuals probably living in the same situations. Did you ever, I'm just curious, did that ever come up in your thinking as you were, as yeah, you were going you know, through the pandemic? No, to be honest. No, I didn't. And I think that we would have been quite vulnerable. That would have changed the dynamic, you know, if we couldn't really leave the house, if everyone's trying to do online school and you have, you know, eight different Zoom classrooms. I can't imagine you doing it. Been hard. Eight to nine. It, it would have been, I think that, yeah, I, w- I would have been, that would have changed changed the dynamic for sure. I, I don't know if it, it, it I, I venture to say it'd be very hard. I'm sure there's a way to do it. I'm sure I don't say it's impossible, but I'm sure we would have found a way, but it would have definitely been hard for sure. Yeah. No, I just, I can't imagine. I just can't. 11 people in a three bedroom house with one functioning yeah. bathroom. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what was it like training during the pandemic? Well, you know, for me, it was, I was on a set of rotations where I was affected the least, you know? So I was on, like, especially during the, the, the heart, like the, the, the beginning kind of of the pandemic when everything was kind of shut down. I mean, I was on the trauma rotation and, you know, trauma, you know, people need care. So it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta be there. You, you gotta, someone has a broken femur, you know, you gotta fix the femur. So that, that thankfully that was, um, they, uh, administration, everybody allowed us to continue to help those people that truly like need it urgently. And I was also on our, uh, our oncology rotation, our cancer rotation. So bone cancer and that stuff, of course, can't wait either. So for, for me, I was uh, still able to take care of patients uh, during a lot of the those parts of the pandemic. Uh, there were other, you know, other, you know, times, I think some of the elective cases were, you know, canceled or postponed, but, you know, I think they're still able to get uh, quite a robust surgical experience. That's good. That's interesting. All right. So we've kind of taken this, what I would call the tour de force of Blake Montgomery. So now you finish this fellowship in New Zealand. I can imagine you probably could have gone to pretty much any place in the country to be a pediatric spine surgeon you don't you yes there he's gonna be humble guys i know this but yeah he could go wherever he wanted (laughs) so what what was it about st louis why watch you why why do we get to be blessed with your presence i don't know about that i'm i'm really (laughs) i i'll say that i'm definitely uh, fortunate for uh any and all opportunities for sure um I would say that I really wanted to come back to St. Louis for a few reasons. Um, you know, one, I, I, you know, I really like the job opportunity here. You know, it's a place where I can take care of patients with really complex, you know, surgical, uh, you know, spine needs, essentially complex spine conditions. Like 
absolutely love helping kids that have you know severe uh, spine issues that, that, I, that I can make better and I, that's really rewarding to me and I, and I knew that I could do, do that here uh, also the research opportunities uh, that are at WashU are they are phenomenal yeah. it's some of the best in the country it's almost a Disney Disneyland as far as that is concerned and for me I find it very rewarding to help anyone that I you know that I that I do surgery or anyone who I offer surgery I find that very rewarding that surgery can help this one person but what's really fascinating and what really is very innately you know just satisfying is the fact that with research you can help more than that one person you know you can help more than 50 people you can help more than 100 or maybe even a thousand people like you can help the entire country you can help the world you know you can reach people for generations mm -hmm. it can your research you know that can out outlive you and that's that is what is really inspiring to me about research and that's kind of what's always attracted me to research is that you know you can have a a long-standing impact a lot longer than you know than what i'll be using the surgical knife for you know it's going to outlive that and so that that idea that concept has really you know pushed me towards wanting to continue to research i think at wash you you know it, it can definitely be done and then on top of that of course, I'm from St. Louis. So it was just like, how could I pass up on this opportunity where I can take care of patients with really complex surgical needs, complex spine issues, where I can do the research that I want to do and be supported to do the research that I want to do. And I can do all of that in the backyard with people that, you know, being in the same areas where I grew up and able to help that community. That's just icing on top of the cake. So I got two questions on this and then we'll go to the but some are the fun fun questions. But what what is your what is your research and where where do you see your what 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 are these questions that you're so intrigued? I, I, yeah, you're inspiring to no end. I want, but I I love I to hear <laughs> let people hear what you're gonna tackle. And as I think everybody's heard, he's gonna tackle it. So world is gonna be better. So go. So I am really interested in early onset scoliosis. So essentially, it's when the spine is curving when a kid is really young. When the spine curves, uh, when a kid is young, uh, it has the possibility of really preventing the chest from developing. So preventing the heart and lungs from developing. And ultimately, if untreated, that can lead to early death even. Uh, so right now we have multiple treatment options uh, for these kids, but unfortunately, uh, we don't have a good one. Right? We don't have a great one. And they are our treatment options are filled with complications. So I am focused on trying to develop better, more reliable treatment options for kids who have early onset scoliosis. My second question off of this is we started the, the journey that you kind of went and, and we, we, we talked about Malcolm and this and that, hey, we're both from St. Louis and so we got each other. What what was there any intrepidation, or had the experience in New Zealand taken away this somewhat intrepidation to come back to a place where the color of your skin was going to matter more than what it had been, or maybe for the last six seven years? You know, definitely. But I was going in with my eyes wide open, you know. So I learned a lot in my time away, and I feel like I have come back with uh, definitely I've gained a lot of skills from these uh, institutions and I have something that I feel like I can offer to the community, yeah. which is great. And, uh, you know, of course we're, you know, uh, medicine, surgery, lifelong learning. There's still a ton more that, you know, uh, to be learned that I can learn yeah. that, you know, every surgeon can learn, but uh, it's, it's a little bit of a different, uh, I think it's a, it's a little bit different, uh, being in a place where you are still trying to go through the educational process versus coming back almost as a teacher like, and yeah. trying to provide, like, trying to, you know, help educate others. It's uh, it's a bit of a different stance, but still coming back with my eyes wide open. And, you know, it's, 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 um, it, yeah. it's, it's been nice being back. Home. I mean, it's like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm about to run, jump through this screen, man. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, right. I know Sheridan's losing her mind <laughs> right now, too, by the way. We're going to be like talking forever before we intro this. Um, no. <laughs> um, okay, so, all right. So here, we're going to go to the, we have some ending question. I think one of our favorites <laughs> is, um, 
what was the most influential thing that someone has told you or did for you that encouraged you throughout your career or throughout your career to this point? Okay. Uh, I would say that that I think influential is probably I'll have to go back and use a give give an answer that I, I think I gave a little bit before, but maybe I'll jump into it a little yeah. bit more. But uh, my grandfather, you know, and it's my late grandfather who passed away, uh, you know, um, 2016. Um, but but he his saying of you have to do what you have to do to do what you want to do. And that was kind of his motto. I mean, he was more so, uh, you know, a man of action and, you know, you could kind of just see what, what he did, you know, he didn't necessarily uh, talk a lot. He was a great listener. I didn't necessarily talk a lot, but, and I think that for me, that's always resonated with me. And, you know, he would tell us that sometimes it's just, you know, you got to do what you have to do to do what you want to do. Like, you know, it's just, you, it's a lot of work that that is required mm -hmm. to get to whatever goal you want to get to, whether that be, a baseball player or if you want to do you know get an a Love in it. your class you're not just gonna you know get that a you're gonna you're gonna have to work for it and and i still use that like it's whatever i whatever i want to do i know i'm gonna have to work for love it, it. And man more people need to hear that sure. right <laughs> Ooh, for sure okay <laughs> the last three fun questions where would you go if you could visit any place on earth and why okay well that's that's a great question okay so uh i recently had you know an epiphany of like what do i really like what do i truly enjoy enjoy in my soul like what do i just really enjoy and so i was debating between like do i enjoy you know nature and sights and scenery or do i enjoy delicious exquisite passionate soulful food <laughs> <laughs> and, and and if i really like sit down and i think about what like what gives me like mind tingling or just like you know spine tingling moments of like oh i remember where i was when i tried this and if i'm being honest you know eating and <laughs> eating definitely does like i love i absolutely love nature I have, and i love being out in nature i love that i love like you know very beautiful scenes but you know you, if you give me like a food that I've never tried before. That's amazing. That's maybe only prepared in this, you know, certain aspect of the world. Like, and then I've just never even experienced that taste or emotion. And you can kind of get the history of, you know, people in the culture that's what through you the want. food. Like, that is transformed absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> all that being said, uh, there's a, a there's a conference in Spain later on this year. So I'll be heading to this, Katie and I. Will there be you go. To head to Spain. And we are looking forward to trying some of the, the food out there. So that has to be, that's always been on our list. So we're going to go to Barcelona. That's on the uh, list. As I'm asking this question, so, I'm like, I don't think we've had anybody on the podcast who's already traveled and trained at such awesome places like New Zealand. <laughs> New Zealand is, yeah, they have very good food oh. in New Zealand for sure. Absolutely. Great food in New Zealand. And we're looking forward to going to Spain. That, so that's on the bucket list that's for us. Awesome. So we'll be able to check that off. Okay, I think I know the answer to this one. We always ask people, what was your childhood dream job and why? This is it. This is my childhood you dream job. It. I mean, it's just like, it's like, it, it's a bit surreal. I mean, it's a bit like, like, wow, you know, it's, this is what I've always wanted to do and I'm doing it and I love what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, I absolutely love what I do. I wouldn't want to do anything else in the world. And so, yeah, it's this this is it. I this can't. Is it. I I actually know you're gonna feel this way the rest of your life. Like I have no doubt that when we get on a podcast in 20 years, and you're hosting the podcast, and I convince you you should let me on. This is that we're gonna have, and you're gonna. I'm gonna go. Wait, wait, hey, which is this still your dream job? And I know you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, after you've like done all these things, and like I I just it's gonna be incredible. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet you now you will be. Like endowed chair, professor, big time awards, hands down. Oh, I don't know. And about <laughs> when you are, I am buying dinner. Okay, let's just put that out there. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, that's always the goal. No, hey, no, no, no. How about that? Look at, you were, that, look at this guy that, changing that, that on me. You, huh? That is you. That is you now. That is you now. Okay, <laughs> last one. What book or books are you currently reading or recently read? Whatever you, however you want to go. That's a good question. So I just revisited the uh, Search Inside Yourself book. It's a book about wow. meditation and mindfulness. 
Um, so I just wow. read that again for a second time. Uh, that that one's really good. You know, because, you know, I, I must say, I don't know how much I believed in meditation and mindfulness when I was younger, uh, but definitely I've appreciated its power and impact. And uh, it's just, you know, it's a book that I read uh, 2000, I first read it in 2000. 20 i believe so and i just you know it's been a while and it's like you know what i think i, I like to revisit this and make sure that i can uh, uh make sure that, that i'm you know getting everything there is to learn from the book so and it and it, it was great so it's great to revisit it it kind of talked it kind of talks you through how to meditate like what, what kind of uh, what kind of benefits you can have out of mindfulness and it just did a fellow uh, surgeon tell you you should read this book as as a good way of helping yes yes exactly so it was uh one of my mentors recommended this book to me and, and he recommends it for uh, all of the surgeons that he trains. Um, so. I, I think, um, I, I absolutely think it's brilliant because probably some of the hardest parts of medicine is when things are going chaotic. And let's be clear in surgeries, things will go awry where you're not, the unexpected happens. And then how can you really be in the moment so that you can actually focus on what needs to happen. I, I can see, and that I, I would say it's in any specialty, um, you know. Oh yeah, any specialty and it's pretty much in anyone's life, whether you're in medicine or not, like it is, uh, it's a great skill to have uh, being able to, you know, have power over one's mind. And of course it's a, it's a journey, like just really like harnessing your, like everyone's true potential and just being able to focus and it, it's great. Uh, you know, it, it, it's definitely a journey for everyone. Like everyone's on the journey. And, and so it's nice. Wow. Uh, it, it is, uh, you know, one of my favorite parts about being at a medical center and, and being around people is especially when younger individuals come into a, as faculty and learn from you. Like this has been a tremendous learning opportunity for me, Blake. Uh, I don't know about that. I think you're, I think I, I'm definitely learning from you a ton. I know uh, Brock is and yeah, it's been you, you've definitely been a godsend for sure. I appreciate you, your family, you taking the time on a, on a, by the way, it's a Friday and there's, this is the perfect end of a week is to get and sit and talk on a podcast with Dr. Blake Montgomery. Hey, well, I feel the same way. It's uh, it's a perfect end of the week for me as well. Being on the podcast with you, how enjoyable! Uh, yeah, you guys set me up in this beautiful office with this corner view over Forest Park. I mean, come on, the sun is setting. That's how we it's, treat uh, people, It's beautiful. That's how we do it. Anyway, Doctor Blake Montgomery, <laughs> right. thanks for coming on Inside the Minds. Uh, you uh, you hit that grand slam that you would have hit if you weren't hurt. So th thank thank you again. <laughs> hey, well, thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. <laughs>
fly forever if you keep it tight.